everyone, welcome back to the Cinema Adventure Podcast. We're a movie podcast where every week we sit down and have a discussion about a film. Sometimes it's a new film, sometimes it's an old film. Occasionally we have a guest on. Today is one of those occasions. Today we're joined by Celia Schleckaway. Hi there. Tell us about yourself, Celia. Who are you? (laughs) (laughs) My name is Celia, as we already know. And I'm a psychology major at UW. I'm a senior. For fun, I like to write about movies on the side. Movies that make me think about anything. After they're over. <laughs> Very nice. And you have a Tumblr blog about your movies. What is that yes. Tumblr called for people who might want to check out your work? If you want to read what I've written so far, you can go to filmsunstuck at .tumblr.com. Preferably follow me on Twitter at filmsunstuck. That's kind of where I put all of my dumb movie thoughts out into the internet because I don't, now that school's back in, I don't really write as much as I would like to. Yeah, everything I've written so far is up on there. Where did the name for the blog come from? If I'm being really, really honest with you, I knew that if I waited to find the perfect name, I would never make the blog. I would just think about it forever and never actually pull the trigger. So um, I got the name from Slaughterhouse-Five, which is one of my favorite Mm. books. They talk about being unstuck from time a lot. I kind of was like, oh, that might mean something to someone somewhere, so I'll use that. I really like it. Oh, for this episode, we watched the movie <laughs> Gone Girl. Yes, and Gone Girl was Celia's pick for the movie we'd be talking about today. What uh, made you pick this movie for discussion? Kind of randomly, honestly. It came up in conversation I was having with a friend like a couple of days before we talked about film, not filming, <laughs> recording this podcast. We were talking about how great the movie was and how I wanted to rewatch it. And then I saw a video on YouTube that talked about David Fincher's camera techniques. With when, the Nerdwriter video? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, how, how David Fincher hijacks your eyes. Yeah, it was, and it was really interesting. And he used Gone Girl as some of his examples. And I, I thought, oh, I actually really want to rewatch it now. And I already have to watch some movie, so I might as well do that one. Yeah. When was the first time you watched Gone Girl and what was your initial reaction? I don't remember. I know it wasn't when it came out because it came out like right when I moved to Seattle. And I think the first movie I saw when I moved here was Interstellar, which was after that. But I think I saw it with my parents when I was home on spring break or something. And they told me that I would really enjoy it. And I saw it and loved it. I haven't seen it since. So, No, I'm kind of the same way I saw it for the first time, I think. Like opening weekend, because I was really big on the book. I read it in like two days while my family was vacationing um, at our family's cabin. So I was a huge, huge fan. So when the movie came out and my whole family had read it too. So we all went and saw it in the theaters and all loved it. So I haven't even seen it since then. But mm-hmm. this reminded me how great of a thriller this is. I love this movie. How I'm do you happy feel that it? somebody had read the book. Have you yes. read the book? No, but I was told that it's very different from the film. That it's it was not, very yeah. difficult to adapt to a screenplay. Gotcha. Yeah, the book is very, it's a lot more intricate. I think they changed a couple things with the ending, but it is for the most part pretty faithful because the author, I don't know if it's Gillian Flynn or Gillian Flynn, um, she adapted the book for for film. So she had to kind of rearrange stuff to make it more adaptable. I think the original version she had was going to be like three hours long. So she had to kind of prioritize exactly what she was going to do. Well, she didn't cut that much because it was two and a half hours long. Yeah, two and a half hours (laughs) is still very long for a Hollywood thriller. Yeah. Yeah. Very well, long. Yeah, what was your reaction to Gone Girl Aiden? Well, I saw it for the first time about, I want to say, two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. So I didn't love it when I first watched it. I was I was like, huh. It just left me feeling, like, real sad, <laughs> no. you know? I still felt that way after I watched it. I mean, I liked it a lot this time. I, I felt like I had a better handle on what it was doing that was unique because it's a pretty 
unique looking film. So I, I enjoyed that aspect of it a lot this time, but yeah, it, totally like two different experiences. I also made a horrible mistake and watched it very late at night. You watched it really late last night too, didn't you? What time did you finish it up? I actually had to kind of split it up last night this morning because I had a lot of interruptions last night. So I think I started it at like 11.30 and I, wa I made myself watch an hour and a half and then I thought, okay, I'll watch the rest. The first thing when I get up in the morning. So I had to do that. I was just too exhausted. Yeah, I, I couldn't forced myself to split it up, so I finished around 2 a.m. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I'm I'm running on fumes here, so pardon me if I'm... <laughs> I'm know, glad you're so dedicated loopy. in your viewing. Hey, That's great. You know what? <laughs> Had to watch it straight through, otherwise it's not pure. Yeah, definitely. You're an impure movie watcher. <laughs> I guess so. I, it, you have to split it up sometimes. I mean, with two and a half <laughs> yeah, hours, yeah. that's a lot. Also, I figured since, you know, I had seen it and I, like, read the book, I feel like I knew it pretty well still. Yeah. So not too not too guilty there. Fair enough. I'm usually of the opinion that any movie more than 90 minutes is too long, which isn't fair or right, but that's my opinion. <laughs> it's true and, a lot of the time. Yeah, and yeah. so when I, I just picked Gone Girl not thinking of the length of time I would have to dedicate to it, and when I looked it up, I thought, oh, no, what did I do? To <laughs> I think <laughs> it's very well spent, though. I feel like it's yeah. not a movie where you feel like a lot of moments are wasted because mm -hmm. the story does unravel so steadily, but in a very satisfying way that... It wasn't a two and a half hours. It's like, why did David Fincher do this to us? Like, it all felt very planned and methodical. Yeah. That's fair. It doesn't yeah. really drag. It I doesn't drag at all. I couldn't think of something to cut if you had to no, cut stuff. No, I couldn't either. From, That's so. very enthralling for sure. Mm -hmm. But yeah, go ahead, Celia, and kind of talk about, to people who might have not seen Gone Girl before, just give like a short plot summary. Of, if of you the can. whole thing? Not the whole thing, but just kind of or a just the just lead synopsis. us into kind of a synopsis, sure. So, Gone Girl is the story of. Rosamund Pike, who plays... <laughs> it's the story of Rosamund Pike. <laughs> Gone Girl is the story of this married couple and the man who's played by Ben Affleck, whose name, character name, I will not remember. What I've got it right here. Oh, love it. His name is Nick Dunn. Uh, Nick oh, Dunn, perfect. That's right. Ben Affleck plays Nick Dunn, who comes home and finds that his wife has been kidnapped, he thinks. And so there's this huge search and all this stuff is going on, and then it slowly unravels that, whoops, she wasn't kidnapped, she framed him for her murder and escaped, and it's just a lot of fun. It's a real lighthearted film. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's lighthearted in the sense that it is, it almost has the plot of like kind of a silly Hollywood movie, but the way it's developed is very dark and develops these very dark characters. I, I cannot imagine using <laughs> using the word lighthearted to describe this movie. You're being sarcastic or facetious uh, yes. right now, yes? yes? I couldn't. Oh, man, I should have gotten more sleep last night. I'm <laughs> just sitting here staring at the two of you in disbelief. Okay. Yeah, please, please uh, continue. I mean, yeah. that's really the gist of that's it. That's it. Yeah, it's hard. it would be hard to kind of go through every detail because there are so There's a many, lot of details. A lot of a lot intricacies of there. It's a very twisty movie. Very twisty, very unreliable narrators throughout. Because you're not sure, towards the beginning, you're not sure exactly where Nick stands, if he is this innocent husband or if he is actually a bad guy or not. And then later, when it is revealed his wife's true nature, that's when the movie kind of flips over and it kind of almost becomes just almost watching her do all this scheming and how is she going to get out of this situation that she's put herself into. Right. And the yeah. intention of her character is to frame him for her murder because in the state of Missouri where the movie takes place, there's the death penalty. She has the intention to have him be killed. And then the reveal at the end, of course, is that she makes some poor decisions in her planning to frame him and ends up coming back and revealing that she's not dead. 
and kind of convincing him to continue to live this fake life with her. And it's so, I think that's such a disturbing ending that he's going to yes. continue living with this monstrous figure who becomes more monstrous kind of the more you get to know her and the actions that she does. She's a very manipulative woman. We find out that she's only really framing Nick because he cheated on her and kind of humiliated her. So she wants him to pay the price for that in a much more severe way. It is interesting seeing she's one of these villains. She reminds me a lot of double indemnities like Phyllis Dietrichson, right? This villainous female character who does all these bad things, but you really enjoy watching them make bad. You hate her, but at the same time, you're like, what is she going to do next? Like, what is this villainous going to show us this time? That was, yeah, that was exactly what I walked away from it with. And I don't know if it's necessarily all of this Harvey Weinstein stuff going on, but it was really cool to just watch a woman like get hers the whole time. Yeah. I mean, even though she was doing all of this evil stuff, I couldn't help but love every second of it. There was that scene at the end where she was in the wheelchair and the cop was questioning her. And it's so funny because you want to be on the cop side in theory, right? Because the cop is searching for the truth. But the whole time I'm thinking to myself, like, shut up and let her just get away with it. Just let her get away with it because I don't know, you couldn't help a root for her, in my in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, you want her to because in a way, because the movie throws you into this, you get in the headspace of other, because in the movie it becomes this big media frenzy and you have this Nancy Grace character um, condemning Nick and the public hates Nick and has this whole story and it kind of makes you think about things like the Casey Anthony trial, like these big public true crime kinds of stories. And so this, it kind of took me into that kind of headspace and it did make me wonder like how many of these stories are much more complex than meets the eye. So that was kind of fun to find those parallels. And the movie does a good job, too, with developing that Nancy Grace character who's played by uh, Missy Pyle, her, as well as Amy's kind of the wine mom friend that she has, Casey Wilson, who's like this fanatic who hates Nick. You get this huge sense of what this might look like in the real world. So I like how they they really do a good job defining that aspect of kind of making it this true crime tale. You can envision it happening in real time as well. <laughs> Which is interesting because the the story isn't told in real time. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. plot jumps around and you get, well, I want to say flashbacks, but they're journal entries. Yes. And you get to see perspectives of different days from different people scattered throughout different points in the film. Yeah. So you get to really reconstruct the narrative as you go through it. It's it's a it's a fun little jaunt into some nonlinear storytelling. Yeah, and it always it works so well too, because I feel like a lot of movies that are flashback heavy, they can't really pull it off. They'll usually like, I don't know, preface it all with like a little whirlpool thing and then everyone has a different wig or something and it feels very false, but I feel like it flows very well with the movie. And I feel like if it weren't told in this sense, it would diminish a lot of the mystery because you are learning things as it goes on so kind of jumping around in time it helps us kind of put the puzzles pieces in the puzzle together so like that's a very good format a very good choice and i think the book's that way as well where it does kind of each chapter um is from a different character's perspective in a different time so that lines up very well with that i think we should talk a little bit about the flashbacks or the, the journal entries because at the beginning of the film, you start with one of them, right? I remember thinking, because I had the slightly negative experience the first time I watched this and then going to watch it again last night, and it started with that. I wanted to pull my hair out a little bit because the dialogue is so fakey fake and like so weird that I was like, God, is this really what this movie's going to be about? And then once I started to catch on, no, this is the fake diary entries that... Amy is writing to trick the police. I was like, oh, it makes sense. Like, no wonder this isn't believable. Mm-hmm. It's totally fabricated. That's Yeah, that's exactly what I said to the, the friend that I watched it with. I said, oh, seeing it a second time, you can tell that this 
definitely isn't real because the minute anyone says anything, it's so cringy and awkward and weird. And I thought it was interesting because later in the movie, she says the early stories, like the beginning stories were the true ones. It's kind of unreal to me because the later ones felt a lot more real and felt a lot more honest, but those were the faked journal entries. So yeah. I'm not quite sure. Was that on purpose? I don't really know. I know it makes me wonder. And that, that brings up a good point, too, of it feeling kind of fake. Because I remember when I first watched it thinking that Rosamund Pike's character is kind of perceived as like this cool girl or whatever, but she acts so, she talks in a very icy way. And it's like, is she really? Like, she seems very mannered in everything she does and there's, there's something off about her but then you kind of realize later that there is something off and it's like oh that's probably why I didn't really believe how she was acting in the beginning because this isn't her at all mm-hmm. but that's so true because that kind of artificial dialogue is so much a part of her identity is just being this kind of artificial person who tries to be all these different things at once to have all these schemes play out I guess I did like too how this movie it is complex in terms of Amy's identity because in some ways it could be seen as kind of damaging because you have this female character who is presented as this crazy villain and so it kind of perpetuates the like bitches be crazy idea where it might kind of create this idea in men's minds like well women are crazy so you better be careful and that's like not something that's good obviously to develop culturally but at the same time you have Amy given all these different identities by people like the cool girl or like the perfect daughter all these different things and she kind of decides for herself like I'm not going to be all these things that people want me to be I'm going to reclaim my identity and I'm going to set my own destiny so it is interesting how there's kind of those two sides that could be seen as positive or negative but the movie does a good job of kind of putting them together and not distracting too much overall I think Beyonce was in a movie like that one of the crazy girlfriend comes to kill the wife it was called (laughs) obsessed or something like that Mm -hmm. and I remember thinking This could have easily, you know, with a lesser screenplay or a lesser director, this could have easily turned into one of those movies where it's just like, look at this crazy woman doing crazy woman things. Aren't women crazy? But between all of these different creative outlets combined into this one movie, it never really felt like that. Mm -hmm. Especially because Ben Affleck, the other part of the marriage, is the worst in this movie. God, he's awful. So annoying. (laughs) Although uh, the best scene, my favorite scene in the movie, probably because it was the most lighthearted scene, (laughs) was when he's talking to his lawyer, Tyler Perry's character, Tanner Bolt, Mm -hmm. and they're they're trying to script what he's going to say on television. Anytime he says something wrong, Tanner just chucks a gummy bear at his forehead. He's like, you don't sound believable. You don't sound like you care. Thump, thump, thump. Well, the whole time, yeah, he keeps saying I, 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 and makes it all self-centered. And Tyler Perry's like, this, you have to present it as like your wife has been kidnapped. Like, stop making it all about you. Because his character is like that pretty much the whole time. Like, rather than being super worried about his wife, he is just more concerned about himself. Which I think is one of the reasons why his character is so annoying is he, I mean, granted, (laughs) as the situation unravels, you do sympathize. Because you realize like, oh, this is not an ordinary situation whatsoever. But at first you're like... Like, could you not make this such a... And, like, yeah, like, immediately after the disappearance and, like, sleeping with his younger mistress, it's like, Ben, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, please. What an idiot. Just, <laughs> I mean, maybe this isn't fair to Ben Affleck's um, appearance, but since he is just, like, this muscle-bound, like, Herculean-looking guy and his establishing shots are him, like, in workout clothes taking out the trash and you just see, like, his buff arms, I'm like, okay, so here we go. We've got this, like... White dad. This white dad bro (laughs) who's just, he lives in Missouri and he's in a big house. It's like, okay, here we go. I mean, there's a lot of reveals in this movie, but the one that I think 
hits you the hardest and makes you go, oh, you are just the worst, is when his <laughs> mistress walks in the door when he's at his sister's house. Like, you're trying so hard to sympathize, and then it's like, what? Like, I, why? I, 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 I like, love Affleck's sister, the twin sister. Oh, yeah. She's so good. Carrie Coon. Yeah, Carrie Coon. She's mm-hmm. excellent. Amazing. When she, just right after the mistress leaves, and she's like, you idiot! She's <laughs> just yelling at him. She's like the perfect stand-in for the audience. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you doing any of this? Yeah. yeah, that was, that whole scene was insane. That last line he says before it cuts to, like, the next morning. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something about, oh, fine, you can stay, or just, just a just an hour or something like that, basically implying that, all right, I give in, we'll we'll do it, we'll have sex. And it's just <laughs> so mind boggling. Like how how horny could you be that this is the right decision in this minute? No. Honestly, I know because he's already. I think kind you'd of, have to be very horny. Because <laughs> so if you already have this public disfavor already kind of mounting, to be willing to Oh, there's just no way because I mean you never know if like maybe so a camera person or something might pop up like it's just so reckless of him to do and he's already in such a bad situation like why but yeah Carrie Coon's right what an idiot Carrie Coon's always right in this movie she's always right what a great <laughs> character this was actually I didn't realize this was like her movie debut I had no no clue such a like the standout character what I else think. has she been in I'm trying to think I don't Really, no, I know she was. she's in the new Mindhunter series on Netflix, which is also David Fincher, so I guess they like working together. Um, I think she was in the new season of Fargo, I want to say. Hmm. So I think she's I think she's mostly been a theater actress and then has kind of slowly started to do more like television and movie kinds of things, but huge standout character, definitely. I did want to say something about the gummy bear scene. Please. <laughs> I think that's a really interesting scene because of a few things. First, we were talking about how he needs to keep editing what he has to what he has to say in order to get the country to like him and I think it's interesting that the thing that makes everybody like him is probably the least honest thing he had to say. Secondly, Tyler Perry just as a character is bonkers to me. <laughs> like his existence in this film is incredible. In fact, he even went on record and said he had no clue who David Fincher was before he took this role. <laughs> and in fact, if he had known who David Fincher was, he would not have taken the role. But <laughs> So that's cool. And then the gummy bears uh, were also CGI. Oh, really? Have you seen, I think it's also a Nerdwriter video. I don't think it's Nerdwriter, is it but not I've Nerd seen Rider? a video. There's another one that's all about how Fincher uses CGI, and it is really? everywhere in his movies, and it's so subtle that you would never notice it. I watched a video where they showed what it looked like while it was filmed, and then they overlaid what it looked like in the movie, so you saw where the green screens were, and you saw all of that, and it was basically any scene shot inside was CGI, like all the outside, like windows and all of that was all CGI. The gummy bears were CGI. The river, the riverboat casino was CGI. It was, Damn. it was insane. Really subtle, <laughs> really subtle use. Really but is there a reason why he does? Does he just do it because he can, or does he just really not want to hurt Ben Affleck that bad no, with the gummy bear? Just, <laughs> I think it just adds to just kind of the feel and the aesthetic of a film. I mean, good CGI is CGI that you don't notice. Yeah. Right, most of the time. And, I mean, poor artists who don't get the recognition for doing, like, really incredible stuff because it's so good that you just think, oh, it's just a set or it's just this. But, like, the Riverboat Casino, when she goes there, that whole thing is not there. Weird. Yeah. That's wild. I think for the gummy bears, I would imagine they were CGI because it would be easier to track and be able to keep track of an object that was small if it was CGI and you could enhance its color or whatever. I think a a real gummy bear probably wouldn't bounce so elastically off of... 
Affleck's face. Yeah, I think that was the main goal to make it just bounce so perfectly. And that way they wouldn't have to do a million takes just because the bounce wasn't right. Which Weird. is funny because Fincher is so known for doing a million so takes, takes for. Yeah. He just sounds so intense with all the takes. I mean, cause is that one of the reasons why Tyler Perry didn't realize how much of a nightmare it would be because he didn't know about the hundreds well, of takes? I have no clue. But, <laughs> I would imagine. But I think, I just don't think Tyler Perry necessarily likes to do, like, I don't know, mainstream. Yeah. I don't, I don't it know. Is weird. I know nothing about Tyler Perry yeah. except, <laughs> for this, except for this one fact that I yeah. have. <laughs> so I feel like Tyler, it's weird because Tyler Perry in my mind is trash. So for him to be in this movie, he's really good. So I was really surprised to see him in this role that I really believed him and I thought he was really terrific in it. But it is weird because I had just written a column where I think I mentioned the new Medea movie and said something mean about it. And like <laughs> I said that and then go to Gone Girl and it's like, oh yeah, like Tyler Perry actually is really talented, but he just doesn't always show his talents in the the best ways, I would say. But Blake with the hot takes. Blake okay. with the hot takes. <laughs> I've, I don't know why, but I feel like I've seen a lot of Medea movies and every time I don't like it, but I've seen like three of them and I don't know why. <laughs> Medea casket. What <laughs> scenario did you watch three Medea movies in? I don't. I know I watched one because like my cousin was over and like everything in the red box like we had already seen. So we're like, let's just watch this and make fun <laughs> oh, of it. Oh man! And then I'm trying. My friends were over and like we didn't want to watch like a really scary movie, so it was like a Medea Halloween. And like, hey, people love that Medea Boo, the original. People uh, love it. Yeah, unironically. I don't get it. I mean, I've never seen one. I, they're not like. I don't know. It's like a different kind of awful. Like it's it's really awful, but it's not so awful that like you would turn it off. You're kind of like intrigued by how awful it is, you know. So, but yeah, it's really good in this movie. I think he should take on more supporting roles in David Fincher thrillers. I think this is where his career should be going. He should be in Mindhunter, maybe. He should be in Mindhunter, <laughs> starring Tyler Perry. <laughs> no, but David Fincher too. Like I didn't realize too that before he became this movie director, because he does have a very distinct style, both in his storytelling and in you know, the visual sense, but it is, he began more as a music video director and worked a lot with Madonna and stuff. So it is weird to see him kind of go from this filmmaking that's a lot more materialistic to this very thorough kind of filmmaking that's slow and very considerate of everything it does. I think this is one of his more accessible movies. He's made a lot of kind of long thrillers like this one, but this is by far the most fun I think that he's made. I haven't seen a lot, well, a lot of anything, but I haven't seen a lot of Fincher's, so I, I wouldn't really know if that's true or false. But, I mean, he did make Fight Club. Right? did make Fight Club. True, yeah, Fight, Fight Club's, Club's a very different movie. <laughs> that, yeah, that one's not that as like, fun, but it's very interesting. It, I mean, it's pretty widely, widely known. Yeah, no. He has a lot of, I think a lot of very culturally defining movies, very popular like that one, and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is a really big hit when that came out. Seven. Seven's a huge deal, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it is funny because looking at all these movies, they all do have a pretty similar visual style, and they st- and they feel pretty tonally similar as well. They all fit together very well. He definitely, even though his movies aren't odd necessarily, you know a David Fincher movie when you see it. So that's cool that he can have the, his own style, but it's not so out there that it's a weird style. I think just speaking of style, some of the stuff that jumped out for me the most is the stuff that didn't jump out. There's a lot... In this movie, it's really generic on purpose because it takes place in middle America, you know? Every little detail was very, very generic. Everybody wore just singular colored kind of shirts or pants. Nobody ever had anything that was like brightly colored or 
really visually intense to look at when mm-hmm. they're the, they were wearing. Ben Affleck owns a bar called The, the Bar. bar. <laughs> yes, as uh, generic as you could get. Yeah, love and it. there was that, and then also just kind of some of the marketing and uh, consumerism in the movie is really intense. Like at the part where th- there's a lot of focus on money in this movie mm-hmm. because Amy gets all of her money from a trust fund from her parents because her parents wrote all these books about her. And then they talk about money troubles and one of the ways that she sticks it to Ben Affleck as she charges a credit card, a bunch of video games and big TVs, robot dog, (laughs) stuff like that. And there's this crucial turning point when her plan starts to go off when she's at the motel and she gets robbed and she has all of her money stolen. The next scene after that, she's standing in a gas station on a payphone with a few quarters and she's trying to talk, but her voice is totally drowned out by the size of big shipping trucks that are shipping mm. things. And it's just so loud and overwhelming. And it's like, money makes the world go around in this movie. And if you don't have it, you're screwed, right? Ben Affleck tries to get a lawyer. What's the retainer on the lawyer? $100,000. And what are we going to do? We're going to mortgage the house <laughs> and we're going to go into my one bank account with $2,500. My, my whole savings account, yeah. I know, that was crazy to me when I heard her instantly say, I have 47000 in in a savings account and I'm down for a second mortgage on the house. And I thought to myself, that is your life that you just gave to a lawyer. I can't, I can't imagine. It's like, but. is it really worth it, sis? I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> and they didn't even end up using him, right? Because so that, that money's just gone. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't notice that about, I mean, I saw that money was definitely a factor through and through, but I kind of saw it as just she was building this cliche case against him. Doesn't want a baby, money troubles, and cheating. And that was it. And it was so cliche, but you're right. I think that it was really woven throughout the whole film. It's something that I'd like to, I mean, I don't really want to watch this movie again for a while (laughs) because it's so intense. But if I do watch it again, I'm definitely going to try to keep a a closer eye on some of the money stuff. I feel like this movie, since it is based on a pulp novel, right? I felt like I was looking for a lot of meaning in places where there wasn't any. And I think that's part of why this movie kind of stresses me out. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to do this segue. Speaking of being stressed out, how about that score? That score is really, really weird. It's by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, right? Mm-hmm. And they do most of David Fincher, the scores for his movies. But it is, I think I had read that when they were planning it out, I think Reznor was in like an elevator, like a spa, something like that. And they were like trying to play music that was calming, but it like stressed him out more. So he was like, mm-hmm. let me imitate that for the score. And the score, it is like this kind of placid thing, but it also is so unsettling at the same time. It sounded like you started going for uh Fun fact with Blake. Oh. Fun facts with Blake. Come Perhaps on, Blake. I was. You're on a podcast with Celia and Aiden. Tell us some fun facts. <laughs> Do I have to do more? Okay. Well, that was one fun fact, so that was just a little fun bonus. All right. What have I not said? So, Rosamund Pike, in preparation for the performance, she I think she'd read the book before, so she kind of had a sense of who Amy was. So when she was plotting it out, she drew inspiration from Nicole Kidman's character in, I don't know if either of you have seen To Die For But in that movie, Kidman plays this kind of psychotic woman who wants to be a newscaster. And so she has this very, like, fake nice thing going on all the time. But she also is secretly murderous. Like, she eventually murders her husband in the movie. But she has, like, these two identities. So she drew inspiration from that. And then she also really looked to Sharon Stone's performance in Basic Instinct, which is one of the all-time best femme fatale performances. So that makes a lot of sense. And then she also looked toward Carolyn Bissette Kennedy, who was the wife of John F. Kennedy Jr., because she had this very controlled body language and kind of this aloof way of presenting herself. So she really tried to draw all those characteristics in in the performance, 
Which also, this performance is really, really something. It's insane. It's, it's so insane. good. I can't believe her career didn't explode after this. I don't understand either. I feel like she did it. And I think she made a couple kind of respectable things afterward, but nothing quite of the same magnitude. Mm-mm. When you see this performance, though, you, do, you don't fall in love with her in the same way that you do a lot of movies that make these actresses become really big. So I think maybe that played a factor, but... Such a good performance after, I mean, she had been doing movies for a long time before this, but it never really gotten a role this meaty, so it's like a bummer that you don't see her in more stuff like this. Some more fun facts. Let's see. So the author of the novel, Gillian Flynn, she did the screenplay, and even though, like most authors, when their movies get adapted, they're kind of, they write the screenplay, whatever, and they leave, but David Fincher really, really wanted her to be on set, and so she was there pretty much the entire time, and they would... I think rewrite dialogue as they would go. They rewrote some parts of the screenplay a lot and then would leave some things untouched. But I guess since this was Flynn's first movie-making experience, she was really nervous about it, but Fincher would keep assuring her, like, this is a really, really great screenplay. Don't doubt yourself at all. This is going to be a great movie. So hopefully she does more kinds of things like this in the future. Ben Affleck, his weight fluctuates a lot, if you've noticed, because midway through filming, he started to do um, the Batman movie on the side, so that's why sometimes he's a little more muscular than other times, because... He was preparing to be the Dark Knight. The dude is ripped at the end of the movie. He's really so ripped. Bu- when it's he gets so in terrifying. that, when he gets in that shower, shower you're like, you've been <laughs> going through all this. Like, how did you have time to? You are work a different out? man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel bad. I feel like Ben Affleck's aged a lot in like three years. I don't. He just seems. Maybe it's because he seems so miserable now that he just seems older to me. But I don't know what it is. It's maybe really he's crazy. secretly method acting as Batman. And he's got to be so stressed out. That's that could be true. At this point, he might as well. Honestly, he might as poor Ben Affleck, but also. Ben Affleck kind of He's brings a lot now. of it on himself. So, I mean, whatever. We're not allowed to like Ben Affleck anymore. No. So. no. Nope. No. So, sorry, Ben. <laughs> sorry about that. We're not allowed anymore. <laughs> and then I guess my final fun fact. I didn't bring too many. I don't want to overwhelm listeners. But the bar, <laughs> the bar actually. It's okay. I already overwhelmed <laughs> them with my terrible song that no, I sang every song. episode for you. I'm nervous like it's going to, the length of the song is going to get longer and longer each episode. Yeah, it was like pretty long for this time. Minutes. I think I'm going to dial it back this time. <laughs> Who knows? But the bar, I guess, that was like made for the movie. But after that, I guess people purchased the space and actually turned the place that they filmed for the bar into an actual restaurant called The Bar. So that's cool. This movie started a small business. But yeah, those are my fun facts for today. Um, Thanks, Blake. That's a good segment. You're welcome. I tried so hard. I feel like it's just me talking for a long time. And I can't tell if everyone hates me or not no so. you're doing so good oh thank you so it's much i'm nice. trying <laughs> you're doing great sweetie um, <laughs> what did you think of that speaking of movies creating small businesses at the end of the movie when it puts up on the screen i think i waited through the credits on accident i don't know and it said something about this movie sustained fifteen thousand jobs or something really? like that yeah i don't even think i got to that i think the second the credits started i'm like okay i'm out <laughs> That's interesting. That's good that it's starting so many jobs. Yeah. But wow, 15,000. It was, I mean, don't quote me, but it was something <laughs> insane. And I thought, you're a little bit too proud of yourself there. <laughs> you, you not too shabby, though, 15,000. It's like yeah. half of my hometown. So That's, Yes, you're not wrong. <laughs> good for David Fincher for having that power, I guess. <laughs> I, uh, I remembered something I was going to say about the money. Oh, you really <laughs> wow. love this let's money. Bring it, let's bring it back oh, to the money. Man. Let's bring the money. I feel like... My Aiden brain is stopped. Can't I, stop thinking I, about the Benjamins. I just love those Benjamins. <laughs> <laughs> so, just speaking of commodity and spending money and being generic and all these things, there's a great scene right after Amy disappears 
where Batfleck gets back to, he gets back to their house and he's like, oh, my wife's gone and looks like she was stolen, but I'm gonna hit the fridge. And he opens the fridge up and you see he's looking at all of these homemade things in the freezer, little jams and things that Amy probably made and like put in there. And you see the camera goes down. Oh, yum, yum, yum. All these nice little homemade delicious snacks. What's this? Goes right for the ice cream. Just pulls that store-bought ice cream right out Classic. and plops down on the couch. Wow. I that, mean, that's me. So like, I, Very relatable. I can't. Yeah. I can't All, yeah. fault him for it. And if we're looking deeper, is this like a way of signifying? Like, here you have Amy who has done so much for you, but you're going to choose like the mistress who's like the ice cream, this like little treat. I don't know. That probably is like... We may be rude. reaching here. I, I mean, could be yeah, there's a Let's lot. Let's do it. <laughs> there's a lot of like esoteric stuff you could say about this movie. Like I was thinking about how maybe Ben's go is her name, right, Margot? Yeah. Ben's sister, Ben. <laughs> not, he doesn't even have a character name. He's just Ben Affleck. <laughs> Jeez, I already forget what <laughs> his name Dunn. is. Is it's it Nick? Nick? Okay. Maybe Nick's sister is projection of himself because you only ever see her in scenes with him. And so maybe she's just his consciousness projected on oh, another person. Oh, I love person. it. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but like, I don't want to be a pretentious film critic or anything. But I... There's, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff you could read into this movie, and we'll never know whether we're just the worst people or if they actually meant it or any yeah. of those things. No, I like those far-reaching things. It's always like fun to have your own little interpretation, for sure. And this movie, I'm sure I would love to see David Fincher pick it apart and see how much of the stuff like maybe he planted in there for us to notice and which stuff was not planned at all. Makes you wonder. Because I know Alfred Hitchcock was a lot like that. Like, people would be like, what does this mean? He's like nothing like I, I just thought it looked cool so i wonder if fincher's the same way or if he's like planning it all very methodically earlier this year i got to sit in there was this japanese filmmaker who came and did a talk his name is hirokazu koreeda and i was listening to him and he was talking through a translator and this professor asks him oh what there's a lot of bells in your movie what are, what in your movies every movie there's the ringing of bells what does that signify and he took this really long pause this long break and he goes hmm He's like tapping his chin and then he starts speaking in Japanese and the translator says, he says he doesn't know, but that it's very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good response to, I think, anything. I'm going to start using that a lot. <laughs> just I don't know. Even I if don't I, know, but it's interesting. Even if I do know, just to avoid like a longer conversation. Like, that's so interesting. I thought that Emily, however you say her last name. Yeah, how do you say it? Is it oh, Rada, I got it. I got it. You, do you have the pronu it's, pronunciation? No, but I'm going to say <laughs> what I have written Just down. Just parentheses. Which is, oh no, why am I doing this to <laughs> oh, myself? No. It's <laughs> Rata, oh no, Rata's Ratajkowski. Oh, I was so close. That Rata, one. Rata, I'm not, what did I say? I said Ratajkowski. Is that right? Or is it it might as well be Ratatouille is, the way you're saying it. <laughs> I'll just say that Emily Ratatouille, okay. the actress, Ra Ratajkowski. I'm gonna. That's yeah. my. That seems respectful. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought she was not a good actress. I thought she was very annoying. And I think she was supposed camera. to be. I think that way. Really? I was like. Good. I don't care. It was still annoying. She just pushed her lips out a lot and said. <laughs> But I want to stay over. Yeah. <laughs> it was interesting casting. Thing. I remember when I heard she got cast, I was a little bit surprised because she had really only done, she was famously in like the Robin Thicke's Blurred Lines video, rest in peace to that awful cultural relic. But she was in that originally. And I, David Fincher. Blake, are you going to let anybody live today? <laughs> no. Um, it's fine. But... <laughs> I think he had chosen her because he had this image of her from the video. So he's like, she would be perfect, I guess. So well, she, I think she did mostly just have to stand there. There was just yeah, one scene where really she great. had to talk, and it was a bad scene. <laughs> yeah, 
But it is funny. I mean, I I had read some quote from her saying that like she went in wanting to have a learning experience. She really wanted to learn how to act, and so having to do all the hundreds of Fincher takes really taught her. It's like, what did you have to do really that was, you know, learning about acting? But whatever. I wish I could roll my eyes a little bit harder at how frustrated <laughs> Just let the, the listeners Here, see You the can do it and rolls. we can make a sound effect. <laughs> yeah, what is the sound effect for an eye roll? Okay. Just like a... <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, just a gross noise. <laughs> but, I appreciate it. I don't know. I, I know that some people really enjoyed her performance, but for me it was just too much. It was, I was so frustrated <laughs> by it. It didn't... It, you know, we talked about how the early scenes with uh, Amy and Nick not Ben Affleck, Nick is his character's <laughs> name. They felt really fake, but that was on purpose. Like that was on purpose. And this felt fake, but it it wasn't supposed to be. It was real. <laughs> <laughs> I think this speaks so much to just most of the theme of the movie is that everybody's pretending to be somebody yes. else mm-hmm. and isn't who they say they are. They don't believe who they are supposed to be. Yeah. And even when you think about it, like you don't even know by the end like who they actually are. You have all these ideas of who they are, but... I think just like that, they don't know themselves. We don't know who they really are. Like, who is Amy underneath all the manipulation? Is she just manipulation only? Is there a center? Who knows? I feel so bad for her, though, because of all the stuff with her parents. Her whole childhood was manipulation, right? When you think of how her parents just pick and chose the best parts of her and made them better and then put them out into the world, and there was no way she could ever live up to it. It doesn't, I mean, it's a fake this is a fake movie, fake people. It doesn't surprise me that she coped with it by manipulating everybody else around her because that's all she really knew how to do. So like her whole childhood was crafted. And so she did that with then the, I mean, we're to believe the rest of her life. Um, And it's just sucks. I feel so bad. (laughs) Yeah, The movie does a good job of that too, of having, they touch on her child and they touch on her past experiences and they don't really dwell on it too much, but you feel like you have this very, fully formed idea of how she got to this point. Mm-hmm. And they, do, they don't do too much with the childhood, but you definitely automatically understand because you've met those kinds of parents and stuff, and so you're like, oh, no, like this childhood has not been that great. All right. Mm. You know what time it is. What's Fun what's facts with Blake round two. No, <laughs> it's, uh, it's time for final anymore. thoughts. Final thoughts. Yeah. All right, who's going to go first with their well, think, final wrap-up I think thought? we're going to let our guest go I first. I think that's a good idea so, as well. Julia, what, what are your final thoughts on this movie? I love it. I think it's a really great example of kind of everything that I want in a thriller, like a lot of mystery, great depth of character, good pacing, interesting atmosphere. Like It's kind of all I could really hope for from any mystery thriller or anything, and Fincher did a great job. Rosamund Pike is amazing. And it's it's really great, really worth the full two and a half hours. No, I feel the same way. It is, in some ways, it is just this a standard Hollywood thriller, big budget, big stars, big director. But it's so so much more complex than so many thrillers that we're used to seeing in the 2010s. So I think this is definitely a highlight of the thriller genre, and it is in itself for fans of the novel a very very good, pretty pretty faithful adaptation. So. I think people who love the book, they won't be disappointed. People who are just looking for a really entertaining thriller are not going to be disappointed. This is the kind of movie I don't feel like we get enough. So definitely watch this. Yeah, 7 out of 10. Not enough murder. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. No, 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 it's great. It was good. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel better about it the second time watching it. What would I, have been your original rating and what is your current rating? Okay, original rating was probably like a 6 out of 10. Oh, I was wow. like, not Gosh. a fan. This time, Oof. I'm driving us like 8.5. 
Oh, I give them wow. like a, that's yeah, pretty good. Yeah, that's quite it's, an it's going it's going up. It's going up. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said about this film. I think if we wanted to really dive into it and pick it apart, we'd have to watch it again and then do an hour and a half long podcast on it. Like, it's it's one of those movies that you can watch a million times and always find something new. That's kind of all you could hope for. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've really changed in my opinion that much. I think I gave it an A when it came out. When I wrote a review of it, I would give it an A now. Maybe I have more complex reasons for why I gave it an A as opposed to when I was 17, and, but. That's fair. Yeah, hasn't, hasn't changed, still think it's great. Plus, like, there were boobs in it, so. I'm sure that's great for that's some a, people. That's a nice perk. That yeah. was the point five. That was the point five. <laughs> I'm so glad that it helped your score. Yeah. <laughs> Almost a nine. <laughs> All right. <laughs> let's uh let's do some recommendations. Again, you wanna go first? Yeah, so I had struggled really, really hard with thinking of movies that were like this that I have also seen. The big one that I could think of was Shutter Island, I think. Ooh, love. Is it's another thriller with a Great twist ending, although this twist, the twist in Gone Girl is kind of in the middle. Scorsese did that one, but I think the tone is kind of similar in its desperation to figure out what's going on. So Shutter Island definitely, I pass that, I don't know, maybe like Mad Max Fury Road for like the strong female character. Yes. And it does have that also same desperate tone and the intensity is definitely there. I think I saw half of seven one time and they're kind of, they're similar, but they're both Fincher, so that's not surprising. I don't know. This one's a really hard one to pin down because it's so unique. So for my recommendations, I stuck with movies that have a really good villainous female character. So Mm -hmm. I think, I feel like I mentioned the movies earlier that I am recommending, so that's great. First one is Double Indemnity, which is a 1944 film noir, the classic story of this beautiful woman seduces a man to kill her husband so she can get the insurance money, but psych, she's actually evil and is gonna kill the guy she seduced and take all the money for herself. The femme fatale in this case is Barbara Stanwyck and a really amazing performance. So check it out for that. Also just really cool film noir, old Hollywood style worth checking out. Um, another movie with the great femme fatale is Basic Instinct from 1992, which I also talked about earlier. That movie is a little more problematic in a lot of the detours it goes. There's a little, it feels a little bit misogynistic in a lot of respects, but the femme fatale character played by Sharon Stone is so memorable and is such a great role and was kind of the defining role for that actress in particular, and it inspired so many performances like this, obviously, and so that's just worth the price of raw rental, I guess. <laughs> yeah, those are my main two today. What about you, Aiden? I'm gonna recommend The Lobster, actually, Ooh. because I think thematically it's kind of similar to this film. You know, this this movie's all about people who are in relationships who aren't themselves and are pretending to be other people, and I think that's a really big thing in The Lobster, too, right? You have to find it's this dystopian kind of film. You have to find and fall in love with somebody in this facility who's basically the exact same person as you. Mm-hmm. And they're both bleak in that way. The Lobster is a good movie, but it depressed me in much the same way that this movie did. So that's my recommendation. My second recommendation is Seven, which we mentioned just because it's another Fincher film and it's it feels kind of similar to this movie, but it's more action-based and there's some some good yelling and screaming in that movie from <laughs> Brad Pitt. And then Poor Brad. my last recommendation is just watch something that makes you happy. Oh, oh. that's so, wow. That's yeah. so heartwarming. That's so antithetical Aiden. to the point of <laughs> Yeah, film. I mean, after you watch this film, watch something that makes you happy. 
Yeah, like you a if you've got time after the two and a half hour. Run. <laughs> if you've got time, you're like, what? <laughs> if it isn't two in the morning once you finish this film, <laughs> make sure that you watch something. Ratatouille. 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 <laughs> After you see Ratatouille making her debut, watch a rat make his debut. It's a great parallel. Very good. That's a good one. Right. <laughs> Celia, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure having you on the yes. show. Very yes. excellent guest. Amazing guest. Um, I, well, well, why don't you plug your Tumblr real quick? You can follow me on Twitter at FilmsUnstuck or on Tumblr at FilmsUnstuck.tumblr.com. Definitely check out what's there. If you want to contact us and let us know all your thoughts about Gone Girl, you can reach us at cinemadventurepodcast at gmail.com or you can follow Blake or I on Twitter on our personal Twitter accounts. I'm at Aiden Walkero. And I'm at Blake W. Peterson. I'm pretty sure. He's pretty if, sure. If not, you'll figure it out. You'll yes. figure it out. I'm wearing a Pearl Jam hat in my picture, so just look for that. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. We publish new episodes every Monday on the Soundbite Network. You can listen to all of our other great shows, shows like Home Plates, which is a food podcast where Dee Dee Madigan sits down and speaks with international students all about food from their home country. We've Play Like a Girl, which is a sports podcast hosted by women. There's Women in STEM, which is an interview series. We've got some upcoming stuff that's going to be really exciting that we're really excited to talk about soon. And uh, yeah, I want to also thank Alex Bruel for, for making our theme song, it's called The Scheme. Mm. So shout out to him. It's really fantastic. And we're very happy to him for all that he does for us. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. We'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye. drunk food is like in other places? My name is Dee Dee Madigan, host of the weekly podcast Home Plates, where I ask that question and many more. Each week, an international student joins me here in the studio to discuss their food culture. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday right here on the Soundbite Network. For more like this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbites website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.